Happy birthday, America. <laughs> birthday. Oh, that's Christmas. That's uh the snowman, Frosty. <laughs> Frosty the snowman. Frosty the snowman was a really good horse. He was. Back in the 80s. John Paracella. He was a he was a good horse. Frosty the snowman. But uh Welcome to the uh, the holiday edition of the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. It's the big holiday Monday show. Big holiday. The fireworks. You hear them? Can you hear them? I do hear them. I hear them. It sounds like you're under assault. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is this is going to go on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are just... Uh... People are obsessed with fire. Oh, it's it's insane because it's like how like I always question how much did these people spend in the fireworks store. That's a good question. I have to admit that I, I don't think in all of my years that I ever actually walked into a fireworks store. Oh, I have. I did last year, and I still have some left over that we didn't set off this year. So there's that. I remember when I, I was a kid. spent a, a crazy amount of money. We just didn't light them all off because I just got sick of it. <laughs> that was the thing. Was when I was a kid, they'd have the fireworks. And, you know, the first five minutes, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then it'd be like, okay, this is kind of like the same. And, you know, I mean, is there anything better? <laughs> like, is something going to catch on fire? I mean, <laughs> is one of the fireworks going to turn back towards the crowd? and? <laughs> This is kind of boring. Some action. Yeah, I can. It's. It sounds like uh, artillery. Yeah, because it pretty much is. As soon as the the sun started going down, my backyard was filled with smoke. Well, you know, you have that sword in the house, so you might have to grab it and potentially use it for tonight. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. If you if you get a text from me saying I'm going to the sword, something's wrong. You need to. We're gonna call Vince Carter and have him come straighten it out. <laughs> yeah, he call runs Vin- Daytona. He might save whoever. Well, we had quite a bit of racing action though over the weekend. A bunch of stake races and Churchill's officially closed for the spring. Yeah, I mean it was interesting. I mean, it would have been better with with turf racing, but you know, can't have no, it. That's that is that is true. That is definitely true. I mean, a couple of the races suffered because uh, because there wasn't any um, any turf racing. But uh, I mean, what we did have this weekend was a absolute stake race chalk fest. As usual, I mean. Oh man, today was a beast, bro. It was. It was uh, brutal. It was very, very chalky. Um. <laughs> Calling the reinforcements. <laughs> We're under siege. <laughs> hey, tighten up that left flank. Here comes the mortars. Uh, bricks and mortars. We could we could accommodate for him at my house. 
bricks and mortars is currently launching at your house. <laughs> yeah, there there weren't many fireworks. No, well, I guess uh, no firecracker handicap either. You no, the fire the firecracker handicap, which is actually a race <laughs> that I used once to prep a horse for a stake at the Finger Lakes. It's a true story. But the uh, CD to Finger Lakes move is gold. Very rarely seen <laughs> graded stakes at Churchill on the turf to the Genesee Valley Breeders' Cup handicap or whatever it was. Isn't that a beer? Uh, Genesee is actually a beer, yeah. It's like a redneck beer, I think. Oh. It's always in the cheap end. And you can only get it like New York. You can't get it like too many other places. But um, yeah, the, there weren't much fireworks this weekend. There was a lot of chalk, and uh, I mean, I guess the closest thing would be Charge It, who uh, who won by a, a secretariat like margin over. Uh, yeah. uh, how would we describe them? Uh, a mediocre group. Tier, the C team. Maybe C even team. the D team. Yes, yes. Though Charger did show some skill and and potentially, uh, if he ever has to be into horse ice skating or hockey, he, he did give a nice hip check down the backside to <laughs> get some position. But uh, okay, so my my question about that is, yeah, why did it appear that uh, they went all out on, with him, like emptied the tank. I don't really know. I mean, he he hit the horse. Uh, Johnny V hit the horse up ten in the stretch, ten or thereabouts. But apparently, he said that the horse was acting green and trying to duck in. So. I guess that was his reasoning why he he wanted to you know to pay attention to his business because you know he did wander in the Derby in the Florida Derby yeah uh, where I mean he he could when you go back and watch the race you, you could definitely make a case had he run straight he might have won that race and then the Kentucky Derby uh, I mean that that race was just a, yeah he just didn't have a chance no you just draw a line through that race but um he I mean he is still a relatively lightly raced horse. But, uh, you know, the, Todd mentioned that he was considering or the plan was to train him up to the Travers. <laughs> so uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to do. And that's not a Todd move. He's not a guy that gives horses a lot of time traditionally with these three-year-old races. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't remember him um, taking that tactic and I just think it's kind of interesting with that horse because uh, because of he, he is kind of green and right racing it only solves that right yeah I, I'm sure the most that, yeah I mean I'm sure that they're concerned about uh, I mean the horse got a huge figure and of course as soon as the horse gets huge figures everybody gets a little bit panicky because they're thinking oh well they're going to react to it which you know his odds of coming back and running another 111 buy or whatever he ran. Um, it's probably unlikely. No, but, but 
probably he might not have, have to run, run that, that to win his next race, no matter where it's at. I mean, yeah. it, you know, when when you see that like blowout win like that, and they get a, a gaudy number, I don't know. I always have I have a tough time betting those horses back when they empty the tank like that. Well, he has he only has two two turn races, and one of them is the Kentucky Derby, which you know, like you said, it was was kind of a throwout. He really didn't do much running, and he was kind of all over the place. And uh, he was green, which I mean, very he, he's raced greenly in most of his races. So I thought that was kind of an interesting tactic. Uh, I, I don't know if Mo Donegal's status of being on the shelf affected that at all. Maybe it doesn't, or did didn't at all, but. Uh, uh, he is now listed as uh, having some bone bruising, so he's going to miss some time, probably most of the rest of the, the three-year-old year. I'm guessing he'll come back in the fall, probably trying uh, maybe a, a life is good, um, kind of follow his footsteps where he might run him in the Pegasus uh, as a comeback race and then across the... Uh, Across the pond over there in one of those big races in Dubai or Saudi. So, uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully he comes back. And, I mean, he, he has the Belmont win. He's got the wood. And, um, he he just feels like a horse that, that would be better as an older horse. And he's probably going to really be a, a mile and a quarter type horse. So, you know, it's kind of a shame, but that's that seems to be the um, the theme of this year's three-year-old crop is <laughs> running run big, <laughs> run a big race, and then and you see them in in ninety days. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So I, I guess um, I mean I, I don't know what else to say about the, the that race. It just was. I mean, the horse was four to five morning line, so it wasn't. He did what he was supposed to do. I don't think it was unexpected, but I think what what was unexpected was kind of the uh, how far he won by. Right, and that's that's why it was you know kind of a question like why did they do that? Like why was that the the thing? And I heard I heard the the commentary when you know they were saying that Johnny V was saying the horse was still green and stuff, but. I yeah, guess, yeah. And it just looked like he was just ridden out, you know, and <clears throat> I don't like seeing that for whatever reason. <laughs> I guess it's just a personal preference more than actual functionality. Like, you know, probably doesn't affect the horse as much as I want to think it does. Yeah. And it, it's, July 4th weekend and if they're not planning on running him back yeah. until the end of August um, they kind of have to get a, a strong race which which they got I mean they certainly got a strong race you can't deny that um, but I don't know he's like seems to be one of those really super talented horses um, but we just haven't seen a whole lot of them. And, and, and that's kind of like the theme every week, right? Flight line. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot of them. And now they're talking about maybe running back next year, uh, which, which would be great. I mean, I'm not going to 
not that at all. It'd, it'd be nice to see, except yeah, it's going to be twice. Right. It, it, <laughs> you know, like, uh, put it this way. Put it. Want to put it in perspective? Uh, Olympiad, who who ran really well, um, winning the Stephen Foster, mm-hmm. uh, who actually looked like you know he might he might um, be one of the. I mean, I always kind of had him as a B teamer, but he looks like he's he's moving into the A uh, list territory. But uh, he, he's won five times this year. That's more than Flightline's <laughs> run in his whole career, which started last April, not this April, last April. So you know, you, you got to look at things in in, the, in that kind of perspective. But uh, but Olympiad ran really well. I thought he. Uh, he ran well. I think American Revolution, you know, he he, he probably was just second best. He, he had a pretty decent trip. Uh, uh, Mandaloon, Mandaloon stunk. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't high on Mandaloon. And, I was. We were last against, year. I'm not high on him this year. I know you were against him, and and I I, I haven't. Uh, you know, a lot of people last year were saying after the Kentucky Derby that. Oh, uh, he got a wide trip. He was really the best, and I never really bought into it. Uh, I, I wasn't a huge Mandaloon guy, and you know me with Midnight Bourbon. I, I you know, the ill-fated rest in peace, Midnight Bourbon. Um, I mean, he was always one of those horses to me that that like I used to point out, he always lost ground in the stretch, and I was always a little skeptical about those horses, and and that that that's the same thing how I feel about Hot Rod Charlie, right. I I'm with you. Like you like you know they're good horses, but it's just like isn't there's something missing. <laughs> and well, it's hard to to pinpoint what it is. And you know, you get performances like you did with Mandolin where you know, he didn't run bad, but he didn't run the way you would think he should have. No, he he didn't run I mean, you know, you can always throw out a race across the, you know, over in Dubai. Um, there's been horses that have gone over there and just, just haven't fired for whatever reason. But, I mean, Mandolin got beat, got beat nine lengths yesterday. So, I mean, that was not a good race. Cotto River kind of, uh, or not yesterday, but uh, on Saturday, Cotto River kind of reverted back to form and, um he set a solid pace. I mean, let's let's not yeah. gonna say he he didn't. Um, he, he you know, but he went. He set a solid pace, but it wasn't like uh, earth shattering. So yeah, he he really is more of a, a fringe player, like on the the listed stake, the Grade Three level kind of race. But uh, I'm not thinking he's gonna be. A big time horse and proxy ran okay. I mean, he kind of picks up the pieces, but but I mean, coming out of that race, Olympiad ran well and American Revolution ran ran pretty well. And um, like I said, proxy picked up the pieces and you know, forget the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, at least for right now, I, I think Olympiad, and this is going to sound strange, but uh, I think Olympiad's like you know, a four a, a baseball player. Yeah. The one thing about him is he gets better, right? He keeps getting better, a little bit better and a little bit better. And Seemingly, I mean, but he's not going against the A team. 
No, but the, you know what the funny thing is, though? There is no 18. Like, who's the 18? Life is Good I... hasn't, hasn't run, hasn't won a two-turn race since January. <laughs> um, Flightline runs once every six months. Right. So who is the eight? <clears throat> well, that's your eight. <laughs> you know, that's what I mean. It's like, who is it? And and it's funny because we're kind of like, um, you know, crapping on the the three year olds turning four. But Olympiad is a four year old. You know, he was a later developing horse. And at this point, if you had to take Mandaloon, uh, Olympiad, or Hot Rod Charlie, I mean, who are you taking? Me personally, I'd I'd take. Hot Rod Charlie. See, I would take Olympia because I, I don't get, I don't buy Hot Rod Charlie's nonsense from the last race. He just got beat, and maybe it wasn't the best distance and all that, but he he had almost a length. Yeah, he got beat on square. No and his race is over overseas. The the one good race was the allowance race, the prep race that there really was nobody in it. It was almost a you know, it, was, it was a gimme. So, I mean, to me, I'll take Olympiad. I like the way he's developed. And, you know, if you look at Bill Mott's career, Bill Mott's better with older horses than he is with younger horses. Absolutely. And he, he's not the, the black hole that he used to be with first-time starters. I mean, Mott used to just give first time out. I mean, they just didn't. He would, he was, he went four or 5%. It was, it was crazy. But, um, I mean, he adapted because it's a different world and you just can't do that anymore your horses have to be semi ready to run first time out uh if you're expecting people to give you high dollar horses then they have to be ready to run earlier because they don't and they don't run as much that's the other thing they don't run uh nearly as much as they used to do but uh, i mean to me this is this is a billmont type of uh, of horse and he is uh, i mean even speaker's corner i mean who who keeps I mean, poor speaker's corner, you know, <laughs> he, he runs into fright. He goes from, from uh, flight line to, to three weeks later to uh, life is good. I mean, can't catch a break. That's a, that's a, that's all a year. Tough. I mean, he's, he's been running good races all year. That was a tough month for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't want to get that flight line anymore. Yeah. Guess what, buddy? We got life is good. Oh, and I really think I, I think we, we spoke uh, Saturday that I don't think that's really how he wants to race either of his two races. I really think that against good horses, he would be better in a, in a stalking position because uh, he wasn't stalking on Saturday. He was chasing, you know, he was chasing. Right. He was trying to keep up. Right. Life is good. <laughs> was running fast. And if he took any, uh, if, uh, I think Jose Ortiz wrote if he took a hold of him he'd be six lengths behind uh, life is good which which gives you no chance so he was trying to win and i mean of course the fact that it was a four horse race and one of the horses was like hopelessly beaten um me you know dictates that you can ride the race a little differently but but he just seems to be like he, he you said like described olympia you know he's he's not quite up to the top two but he can probably beat the hell out of most everyone else. What, what did you, you know, what was your take on uh, Life is Good's race? He's a monster, man. <laughs> I he He's special. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy how good that horse is. <clears throat> and 
you know, it's just a shame that he didn't get a crack at the at the Derby. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just gotten better. I mean, all, all the issues you can tell are gone. Um, you know, all of his issues that he had where he wasn't running straight. Now he's he's straight as a string. I mean, well, there's not much more you could ask of that horse, <laughs> you know, other than going a mile and a quarter which he probably can't do. Yeah, the mile and a quarter is a question mark. And and everybody kind of had, after the Pegasus, when he just dominated Nick's go, um, and certainly didn't look like the, another eighth was going to you know, be his, his kryptonite, uh, then, you know, you, you got that race at, uh, in the Middle East, and you know, he, he looked like a winner. You know, on the turn and <laughs> kind of just, spit it out. He just kind of slowed down. Like all of a sudden he had he had three, then all of a sudden he had none. Nothing. But um you know, that's a little bit of a stranger course and, and we don't get you know, we don't get actual fractions. Not that you know, not that they're always accurate here, but um you know, we're not we weren't a hundred percent sure exactly how fast he went in that race and I mean, listen, man. It would be really nice to get to get him and and frontline and and uh, put him in a race, whatever distance, and just kind of see who's better. And I, I see where people are trying to say, well, let's put Jack Christopher. Jack Christopher is not in those horses' league. No, not yeah. He's got to prove it. He's he's he got is not, he proof. is he is not as fast as those horses. No, and he's a three year old. And it's it's just July, so he's not supposed to be as fast as those horses. If this was the 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 old days, uh, where you would run that race as a handicap, Jack Christopher would get in at like one twelve, and those other horses would get in at like one twenty five, and that would be a, that that could be the tell. I mean, when Gulch won the Met Mile as a three year old. Um, in between the Preakness and, <laughs> and the Belmont, and he ran in both, and he did run in the Derby. So uh, his his Triple Crown consisted of uh, the, the, the Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont, and the Met Mile. Uh, when when he won that race, he got eighteen pounds from Broadbrush, uh, who was assigned one hundred and twenty eight. And Gold's got in at 110. Um, <laughs> Pat Day rode him, and Pat Day could do 110. So that's that's kind of a, a little bit of a forgotten part when we start comparing horses um, now versus comparing horses in the old days. Yes, some of those horses were, were competitive. Conquistador Cielo won the Met Mile. Um, the horse named Perfect Brass, who was a good horse, but... He, he wasn't, or Dixie Brass. Not Dixie Perfect. Brass, yeah. yeah. Dixie Brass won the Met Mile, but same thing. He got a ton of weight. Um, Holy Bull got a ton of weight. Uh, so Jack Christopher, like, in theory, should get 10, 12, 15 pounds. I mean, that's right. Re- that's remember, he's won uh, the Pat Day Mile, and he won the, the Woody Stevens, and he looked great doing both. But he beat Papa Core. <laughs> that's your favorite. Well, that's the it's the truth. 
<clears throat> I mean, Papa Corps has been a solid second in both those races, meaning that we're going to cast doubt on the rest of those fields. And, uh, you know, racing against those other type of horses. And Jackie's Warrior, of course, who's, whose last was, you know, last two have been really, really good. And yeah, it'd be great to see all those horses match up at seven ace, but like, it's not going to happen. We all never. But, but uh, you know, theoretically, uh, it, it'd be nice to see life is good and and uh, flight line just go head and head. But I, I don't, I don't know when that's going to happen either. You know, I, I have. I it's mean, like to be skeptical, just the way things have been going and the way things are going. You got to think that that matchup is probably not going to happen no matter what we want. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got one horse that runs every, you know, four to six months. So counting on him to do anything is going to be a little bit questionable. Um, the race at Churchill, the Kelly's Landing, uh, which, which for me in particular, Kelly's Landing beat my beat battle one twice. <laughs> Cost me two stake races, but uh, it was a good work. Eddie Keneally trained at Kelly's Landing, um, but that race hurt my feelings bad because I needed miles ahead. And, and oh man, that was rough. That was that was not a, that was a that was I, I actually threw my phone. I didn't throw it very far, or very hard. <clears throat> I, I was just surprised that Aloha West kind of gutted that one out. You know, the thing about Aloha West, and, I, and honestly, this was one of the reasons I was a little bit against him in that race and, tr- and and willing to take a shot with miles ahead, is that um, taking a horse like Aloha West at a short price is always dicey. And it's not because he's not talented. It's his style. It's, it's his style and the fact he almost kind of waits on horses. So... Even when he wins, he only wins by a small margin. And <laughs> he's gotten beat a couple times where you thought he was going to win. And, and that's kind of what I was playing. And, I mean, I had the two horses with about uh, an equal chance to win the race. And one was 15 to 1 and one was 4 to 5. Right. I mean, that's a no-brainer. I like the outside post for the other horse. I, I just like his pattern. I, I thought he was coming into the race good. And uh, I didn't like Bango at all. He needs a particular you know, set up uh, the two speed horses in the race uh, started from the bottom and keeping uh, keeping knee deep in snow. To me, neither of them was really good enough to win. Um, and uh, you know, Bob's Edge just and the other horse Hearts Rhythm they just got too far behind. Right, they were too far back. So I mean, <laughs> I, I just thought that, that the miles ahead was a a really good play. Um, it was. I mean. You know, that was a play where you made the right decision. <laughs> you literally made the right call, made the right bet, and just didn't get the luck. That's all that was. You know, after the race, I looked and I said, how could I have bet this differently and, and, and capitalized? And I couldn't. You couldn't. I mean, you did, you sometimes did. you just get beat and you can't capitalize on a 15 to 1 shot. And, and that, that sucks, but... I mean, exactly. Even it paid forty bucks. Yeah, forty-two dollars, I think. It was. Right, which is not not nothing, but the horse was going to pay thirty to win, <laughs> you know, or thirty-two to to win. He was he was straight up fifteen to one. So, 
Um, you know, and I had him in picks. And I had him in, uh, you know, I, I had him everywhere. But, uh, you know, sometimes, like you said, it's just you just lose. Right. It, you know, that's that's probably the thing that frustrates me in this game is when you do everything right as a better and you still lose. And it doesn't happen all that often. Usually, you know, um, you know, you, you get rewarded for, for making the correct bets. Um, but there's those opportunities, you know, like that 10, 15% where you do everything right and you still lose. It's just no luck, you know. And he just got beat. I mean, I'm not making right. it. wasn't like he ran bad. He ran exactly the way you thought he did. he was going to. He just didn't get there. <laughs> but you know what I, I liked about the race was that at the very least, there was seven horses in there. And it was kind of a truly run race. Mm-hmm. It wasn't kind of, it wasn't, a, I mean, there, there looked like there was enough speed in there to have, it, have, a, have a quick pace, which it did. Um. And there was enough, uh, there was enough entrance that you got a, a fairly square price. You know, it's it's not like some of these races where they're short fields and they just give the lead to somebody and and it's just not a, a you know a, a truly well, run race. Miles ahead was an overlay. You know, he probably should have been less than that. Yeah, I mean, no, um, I, I would have. Listen to me. He was fair value at ten to one. Fifteen right. was to me was, was just that was just bonus. But at the same time, it's also ultra frustrating. And it's like there's just not that many opportunities. I mean, I don't bet every race. You know, I'm not one of these people who needs the action. I mean, that, I mean, I might I might take a flyer here or there, but we're talking about half of one percent of the of of the pay of the um bankroll you know <laughs> we're not talking much um but yeah you know, i'm sure no one wants to hear about my my bitching about me getting beat um <laughs> the teppin stakes teppin that was um stevie stevie a i believe right mm-hmm uh, another, you know, three-year-old Philly race, another short field, and I mean, do we really need these all these races? Probably not. So many of them, it's just everybody can pick and choose, and and they're all soft spots. That's what kills me. Like, there's like literally like <laughs> no tough spots in races like that. Is you know, because they're spread out at different tracks and you get different horses and one dominates and it's, it's boring. One of the things that really is, um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know what word to use, but um, I guess just kind of not, not frustrating, but kind of depressing, I guess. It's like I was at the harness track in Saratoga today, and it was a perfect day. I mean, it was seventy nine degrees, and they had a, a you know a decent card, and um, and they did nothing. They did no promotions. They did no advertising. They don't even have a they they have a a concession stand that has that sells 
um, dollar hot dogs, hot dogs and soda, and that's it. Like that's it. It's literally like they're like a two-item concession stand, and there's you know four sections of the building, and and there's only they don't they only do it in one spot. You know, my friend said, "Cause you know, well, they couldn't get a food truck to come out here." I was like, "That's a great idea." And you know, I don't think you don't even have to pay those people. You probably get a cut of their revenue of the you know of their sales, right? Um, but I remember going to that track on on holidays, and the places would be jammed up. And Fourth of July was always a huge day there because of the, they'd have fireworks. And um, I remember working there when i was a kid and uh, the parking lots would be we'd we'd close them couldn't get in wouldn't let nobody else in there was nowhere else to park so packed yeah that reminds me of like rockingham back in the day and always packed the great brian beer the the philosopher and (laughs) former trainer brother of mike um said something that's it's you know relatively profound for our level of discourse he said you know looking around it it's he said this is just a subsidized game for the owners the trainers and the drivers and nobody cares and it's like management doesn't care and they they really hope it goes away and they're running for you know not good purses but you know decent enough purses where the people can all make a living but they're not even trying they, the, the, the track doesn't even make um, a small attempt to do better. And that's, to me, that's crazy because you're not talking about like putting millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars <clears throat> or even tens of thousands of dollars. I'm talking about just doing some basic stuff. So it, it is, it's, it's frustrating because that's, it's almost like you know what we're gonna just we're, we're just gonna pay you people to raise here and until something happens until and the wheels fall off. To, and then <laughs> and, and then we're gonna get rid of you and and it's like the inevitable you know it's coming but you're just like you know you're going over the cliff at one point you just don't know where the cliff is because well mostly because we we just operate blindfolded and people close their eyes and pretend like everything's okay. You know, like when people say, oh, handles up. Handles up my ass. <laughs> handles. <laughs> handles up. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, that's Handle what I mean. Face. That's why it's crazy because, you know, like you get people that are around the game every day and how can they be fooled by that? There's no way. You can, you can tell. You can just feel it. Not even – you don't even need numbers to understand that. Like you can just see what's going on and figure that out. People believe what they want to believe. And when they're, they're presented with something that, that jives with what um, they want to believe, then, then that's what they go with. And uh, like uh, our friend at Equibase, <laughs> Ellis Superstar, trying to convince people that, oh, the industry was represented on HISA. Well, they had D.G. Van Cleef and, and Joe DeFrancis. And, uh, uh, yes, they had all people that had worked in the industry, usually running racetracks or some organization. But their suits, 
You guys are making rules for the backside. You're not making rules for the front side. Those guys are very experienced. If we were making rules con- concerning some sort of front side issues or uh, simulcasting or contracts or something like that. But there's not a person on that those boards that, that knows how to saddle a horse. And that's the thing. It's like, and I don't want to get into any Heisa talk because it's just tedious. But people defend it, and it's like, how do you defend this? You can be, you can support a concept, but not be happy with the way it's rolled out. Because if you're happy with the way this thing has been rolled out. Your bar is really, really, really <laughs> set low because it's been kind of a debacle. I mean, no one's even sure about stuff. And, and it's in effect. Fourth, it went in effect two days ago. And we don't even know. We don't even know half the stuff. And they're saying one thing. And two weeks ago, they were saying something different. And nobody could run if they weren't registered. And then all of a sudden... Uh, the California people are saying, oh, well, if you made an attempt, if you're not registered, but you made an attempt, then we're going to give you a, a grace period. But even though everyone six weeks ago was saying, hey, you might want to like extend this and then have a grace period because of issue this, 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 and this. No, 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 we're not doing it. It's got to be done by this day. And then the day before, all of a sudden, it's, well, you know, I mean, so... What do people, what are you supposed to believe? What are you supposed to think? You don't know. And you're saying, well, we we were going to uh, interpret the rule in a different way than it's written. Well, what? And <laughs> that's my, like, you, you can be supportive of the thing and not be a shill for it. That And that's the difference. Like, I support the New York Knicks. I want them to win. I want them to win every game. But I'm not going to sit here and say, uh, I mean, you, you know, most of the time I I want to want to punch Tom Thibodeau in the face. <laughs> I'm not gonna say, oh, he's a great coach. You know, we just got screwed by the refs for the 57th time this week, or oh, oh, uh, you know, uh, Julius Randle, you know, he's just misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, he's never. No, it's not. It's, like... You know, you should support him and still be critical of him. Heiser should be. You should be critical. As a matter of fact, if you support it, you should be more <laughs> critical. Because they should be held to a higher standard. This is an unfunded mandate. There's no government watchdogs watching over them saying, yo, you can't spend any more money because there's none. There's none. So so stop. Just stop. Just shut up. Shut up about it. It's the rule. It's the law. We got to deal with it. Everyone's going to deal with it. But if you don't complain about things when they're wrong or when they're not what they should be, it'll never get fixed. Correct. And, and people always are going to say, like, when I, I, we talked about the stakes issue last week and about uh, I wrote the piece about uh, scheduling, which, which is actually a big issue as well. The scheduling of our stake races is, well, there is no schedule. It's just people do whatever they want. So that's why, you, <laughs> that's why you have overlap and, and you have issues like Delaware ran their oaks uh, two days ago and Prairie Meadows 
and Indiana Horseshoe Place is running theirs on Saturday. So you have three Oaks in a seven-day period. Um, that makes sense to only the people that scheduled for each of those individual tracks because they're not worried about anything else but their own track. But that's but that's the point. And a guy came on, uh, I don't know, Facebook or somewhere, and she said, well, you think this is really going to change anything? It's like, probably not. But if we don't talk about it, it will never change. And maybe if we hammer home this this stuff over and over and over again, just maybe, maybe someone will say, hey, you know what? They have a, a valid point. And we'll deny it until like three months later when we steal the idea and make ours. <laughs> yeah. But at the very least, if someone hears and says, hey, you know what? Maybe we should do this. Maybe this should. You're never going to change anything. If you just ignore it and just say, well, they're never going to fix it because maybe they're not going to fix it. I mean, we've been crying about takeout for a long time, way, way, way longer than this show has been on. Been, we've been doing the show. So and, and that's still there's gains once in a while. But you know, even even a place like Saratoga, New York, 24 percent on exact is in pick threes. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's way too high, especially when they're 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 gifted money from um, from slot machines. A lot of money, a tremendous amount of money. So why aren't those things? Why why aren't they fixed? Nobody puts pressure on them. Yep, and they just go with it. So yeah, I don't expect everyone to just listen to us and do everything we say though they should no of course they should (laughs) (laughs) we make mistakes but we make fewer than they do (laughs) and we do it for free um but no it's it's i guess i still harbor that (laughs) maybe it's an illusion or a delusion but that you know we can we can do some good by constantly pointing out not only the issue but offer solutions uh, a somewhat of a solution um i mean today i wrote about uh who's hot who's not right just kind of a little light-hearted thing on a sunday morning even though it was monday morning but um (laughs) you know one of the things I, i talked about was the stakes issue again and I did say it's it's not as though there is some you know magic potion that we can just dump over the top of the state schedule and it all like work out perfectly. There's not. You need it's a layered thing. You have to start somewhere. You have to to, to take one division and and try to um, get the the best races, the top races, lined out some way that makes sense, and then the 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 ones below that will. Um, kind of follow suit it's it's you need to have a start somewhere Um, but uh, that's that's one of the real crazy things about this business is that people constantly look for um, magic bullets or or they constantly want answers oh like the the second day of after heisa the tdn read the story oh nothing happened nothing happened there was no scratches there was everything was great blah 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 like yeah, because most tracks 
weren't taking horses' entries if they weren't registered because they didn't want to have a million scratches. Like, you can't declare, oh, everything's fine after one day. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but people do because that's what they want to believe. They want to believe that. So if that's their, what they want, and then you have someone uh, give that to you, they're going to declare victory on day one. They won. So. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a very simplistic way to look at the whole thing. You know, like one day nothing happened really. And it's like, all right, victory. We won. No, that's not really. <laughs> you haven't let it go long enough. I mean there's a lot of potential things. I mean, you could even count what's going on in Texas as a non-win. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, it, it's like, ugh, we're, we're, we're like fields overflowing with horses or something this weekend. Cause I, I missed that. I missed it. I missed that. It wasn't, it wasn't on my radar because they didn't have match races. <laughs> crazy um what was really crazy was the metal end saturday night oh yeah super fast strip Whew. bulldog hanover tied the world record a bunch of them were a couple fifths off the world record aki got beat at one to nine by his own horse <laughs> because he went because he went too slow <clears throat> which on a, on a day when everything was fast Though it's the other his other horse that was an Italian import was was like unbelievable. Um, I'm actually going to be at the Meadowlands on Thursday. Okay, that's what's up. Yeah, we got a handicapping contest. I'm going to be a part of. Okay, going to win it. Better, probably not, but we're going to take a shot Thursday at the Meadowlands. I don't know what kind of card they got, but uh, but it's like a you know it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Take a little shot. At least the buy-in's not too bad. I mean, one of the things about the thoroughbred, um, a lot of the the contests are. Yeah, they price people out. Buy-ins are just super expensive, and there's there's not. I know for a fact, and I do this for the safety of the stewards because (laughs) if I bought into one of these contests for five or ten thousand. And I had like a thirty-eight dollar winner, and they took them down for some nonsense. <laughs> I would, I would definitely probably charge the stand and, and throw at least one of them off of the roof. <laughs> so I do it for their safety, for the safety, the safety. Right. Everyone's everyone's worried about safety. So, so what else? What else has happened? Uh, this uh, last week in, in the horse racing world that uh, the sniper was caught his caught his eye. Not much, to be honest with you. It was kind of run of the mill. Yeah, I guess uh, Cece. Oh, Cece down here. Yeah, Cece was was good. How uh, old is she now? I think she's five. Five. Yeah. Why did I think she was older than that? Um, I don't. I think she's five. I'm pretty sure she's five. 
She's a good horse. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of give Mike McCarthy a little bit of a plug for that. And the fact of the matter is he's, he's a really good trainer. Um, his All best right. horses, uh, Smooth Like Straight and CC and um, I was the horse that won the, the, the Pegasus. Um, oh, the, uh, City of Light. City of Light. When you go back and you look at those horses' careers, they fired every time. Like every time. And that's that's the mark of a good trainer. Um, and you could probably nitpick and say, well, the field size was small, this or that kind of thing. But they they all run their A race almost every single time. And he he's won, I think, 36 greatest stakes. Now, he actually won more than that. But the ones, the earlier ones were just when he deputized for uh, for Mr. Pletcher when he had to serve some days. Uh, he used to be his assistant, but uh, in, in only eight years, he's won 36 grade stakes. He's won 12 grade ones hmm. and that, that, with nine different horses. And uh, last year was the first time I believe he had more than 200 starters for a year. Steve Asmussen has 200 starters a month on a slow month. Yeah. So no, I think uh, people should should recognize because we, we don't talk about him when we talk about a lot of the top trainers, and uh, but I mean, he's won a Preakness, he's won two Breeders' Cup races, he won a Pegasus, and that that's not easy to do with with a barn uh, of his size. And, you know, I just uh, I thought he deserved a little bit of a shout out. Absolutely, uh, there's a horse I I like of his, um, Law Professor. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. I mean, he's been kind of back and forth on turf and dirt, but horse can run. Yep, he can. We have a, it was kind of a tough weekend for um, people got hurt really badly, and it's always kind of like the most uncomfortable part of this business. It sucks. It's when, uh, when horses and or people get hurt. And over the weekend, it was a rider, an Australian of girls and apprentice whose horse went down in the race and um, you know hit hard and went over the top and uh, she's in, in really bad shape and uh, I believe Saturday morning Ruby Del Judas who's been a top horseman in Ocala and a pinocher and uh, breaking babies and doing stuff for for years and years and years um, had a horse flip over on him and and Rudy's not a kid I mean he's he's you know, in good shape and all, but he's not, you know, he's not 18 anymore. Um, and he had a pretty significant injury. Um, and I'm still not 100% sure of his status. And uh, then, you know, yesterday, uh, George Weaver's wife, Cindy, uh, was, I don't know, what the, I've got two kind of conflicting reports, whether she was working or whether she was just galloping. Um and the horse went down, uh, had a heart attack. And in the process of going down, um, wound up rolled over the top of her and on time and then actually laid on, on her. Mm. Um, so, and it's difficult to like, <clears throat> a horse is, is a difficult thing to move. Um, I mean, they weigh a thousand pounds. But it's not like a car where there's a bumper you can like pull, pull, 
you know it's just dead weight and it's uh um you know she's she's in a still as of last i'd heard is not regain consciousness i mean they, they seem to think there's some reason for optimism so um but it just goes to show you and and, and she's you know in, in her in her 50s or mid 50s so you know these these uh the, the girl in australia is young i believe she was 19 yeah the early but, but she got hurt really really bad and it's dangerous riding horses and, and any activity riding a horse is a dangerous thing um, but you know, the people that do it for the most part in, in this business, they, they make it look easy. You kind of get lulled into a false sense of, um, security thinking, well, it's not going to happen to me. And I mean, it's, they're tough people, man. Uh, look at Terry Houghton. Terry Houghton's almost got killed like 10 times and he's, he's got to be pretty near 60 years old. And uh, he keeps coming back, <laughs> you know, like he's, he keeps coming back. But, um, it's a tough, tough game, man. Yeah, it, it sucks. I mean, because, you know, the people that, <clears throat> you know, do the work day in, day out are the, are the people that kind of make this business go. And when you see one of them get hurt, it, it kind of puts a lot of things in perspective. Yeah, it does. And uh, I mean, like I said, it's just an uncomfortable part of the business that you kind of just have to to keep on keeping on, you know. And that's the, that's the other part about um, working with horses is that you got to keep coming back. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to take a couple of days off. Everybody took a couple of days off. You got to take care of the horses. It's, a, it's an everyday thing. Everyday thing. So even when bad stuff happens, you got to come back that afternoon and feed and, and water the horses and, and, and change their, you know, clean their stalls and change their bandages. And, you know, it, 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 it just steamrolls on. And that's a, that's a tough thing to, uh, it's a tough thing to have to deal with, you know, because a lot of times the last place when something bad like that happens, the last place you want to be is, is back there, is, is to right. back. But, but, um, but you have to because that's that's what the thing entails, and it's really easily described or more easily described as a a lifestyle more than just a job, and um, that's something that's difficult for people on the outside to understand. Uh, it, I was trying to explain to someone one time how you get attached to horses and you know you shouldn't. Huh. And I said, it's not always the ones you'd think you'd be attached to, too. It's it's not always the ones that are the fastest or the biggest money earners. Th- those aren't always um, the ones you get attached to. Sometimes it's just the ones that you like for whatever reason or and everybody knows that the shelf life of a racehorse is short um, because depending on what circuit you're on, uh, if you're at the top levels, well, how many horses stay at that top level 
for more than a, a short period of time. I'm not talking like grade one steak horses because they don't last that long anymore. They go off the stud or they get retired to get bred. But how, how many horses really are able to stay at, at a top level racetrack and, and keep racing for years and years and years? There's a certain percentage of them. But most of the time with normal horses, they go through the conditions and then they might have a little bit of an issue, some a physical issue of some sort, or they just run into uh, the issue that a lot of um, people don't think about is that they just don't have anywhere to run because they don't have conditions anymore. And the open races just uh, don't exist. Uh, they're not good enough to be stake horses. And they don't have that many open claimers. So a lot of times you wind up having to run these optional claimers, which can be really you know killer races. And you just have to go to a smaller track because, because there's nothing for you. And then when you get down the food chain to the lower end tracks, well... Most of the horses that get to that that point, they don't go back up. They they go out. And when you're on the bottom in those tracks, and your horse isn't the horse isn't competitive anymore, you know, there, there's nowhere to go. Then you got to just retire the horse because at some point you're going to wind up at at the bottom. There's just not any other tracks that you can ship to, or you're willing to ship to, um, to keep going. And uh, that that's. That's the part that people, you know, say, how do you, how do you handle that? And it's, I don't know. You know, I don't know. There's no, there's no strategy. <laughs> there's no playbook on how to do that. It's just, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like, it sucks. But you know, like when your horse gets claimed and I, I never lost very many horses. Matter of fact, the horse I showed you today, the, the, I used the, the firecracker breeders cup to, <laughs> to prep for the Genesee Valley. Uh, Saratoga Sunrise. He was about the only horse I ever lost that that I really didn't want to lose. And the reasons that we lost the horse were the owner's ego, and he lied to me and he, he did not claim him back when they ran him back for um, a tag, a similar tag. And uh, but for the most part, I really never, you know, never really regretted putting a horse in a in a claiming race. And uh, I didn't really have very many that I lost that I really regretted, but. But those horses, you almost have a block in your mind where you say to yourself, I know he'll be running for a tag. And I know that when we run him in a competitive race, he's going to be attractive and it's probably a pretty good chance he's going to get claimed. And you just have to, like, you know, know that going in. Um, but it's it's never easy, you know. And I probably sound like an old softy, but. No, it's got to be a little nerve-wracking, especially with a horse you know is pretty good. And it's like you're setting yourself up <laughs> for that to happen and, you know, kind of like holding hands going into a situation where you know the outcome already a little bit. Can't feel good. Bobby Frank will give me one piece of advice. <laughs> he said to me, we were sitting on a tack trunk and, and – um, the week after the Derby at Churchill Downs, and I and I, I used to get into one of the steak barns, but I couldn't get in until um, after all the steak horses for Derby Week left. And he had a horse he was staying. He, he was there to race. I, I don't remember who it was, but the following weekend. And he knew me from Jerkins, and um, I, I, we were talking about something. And, and he just said, he goes, listen, 
He goes, I, I, I started with claimers. He goes, the, the, the rule of thumb that you always got to follow is if you put a horse in for a tag and you're not a little bit nervous, you're going to lose the horse, then oh. you're probably in too high. <laughs> and <laughs> that is still 100% true. It's it's a hundred percent true, and and that uh, you know if you if you're confident that you're not going to take your horse, uh, you're probably not going to win. I mean, right? How many horses are you ride in a claiming race that you you think you're going to win, um, unless you know something happened and you nobody else knew, which is rare. Um, but <laughs> you're not you're not a little bit concerned. And nowadays, it's it's. I mean, guys just claim off numbers and um, they just bulk claim. And, and and honestly, what has happened with the voided claiming rule is that uh, it causes more horses to get claimed <laughs> because people are a little more confident that they're not going to claim a horse with a wheel falling off because it's going to get voided. Uh, before you had that threat of as soon as it leaves the gate, it's yours. It doesn't matter if the horse drops dead, if the horse bolts, if the horse pulls up lame, if the horse breaks the leg, it's yours as soon as it leaves the gate. So they took that away. So, you, you know, there, there there is no more fear of that. And as such, a lot of times, anything that looks semi-decent, someone is probably going to be in for you. So, you know, it's, and, and it's, it might be a reason why we don't see the claiming structure like it was um you know you don't see open claimers very much i was gonna say no open claimers and a lot of optional claiming right and and that's really a bad thing i mean i mean if you could just wave a wand over the condition books and eliminate one thing i, I would eliminate condition claimers i would make them all open claimers and in the beginning it would be chaos <laughs> but eventually everyone would find your level. And that's how it used to be. Uh, and like a lot of the mid-Atlantic tracks, they run a million starter races. And that's all they have. They have starter races and cheap cheap condition claimers. Um, and a lot, of, a, a lot of chalky horses. I mean, most starters should be starter handicaps. So that a horse who's gets really good doesn't just keep going back in beating the same old horses at one to five um starter handicaps are, are better i mean handicaps i mean this is a big sid you know our man sid fernando he, he's he's a huge proponent of handicaps and he he has been constantly for years and years and years um you know talking about the the negative of eliminating handicaps and and it's it's true and like when i say about everything that we've done to modernize the game has been bad for the most part for the game (laughs) that is true we we were told and and i always remember what we're told because a lot of times what we're told ain't what happens but we were told when they started um to to change handicaps from handicaps to uh, wait for ages or allowance conditions that uh, more horses would run in them and we, we shouldn't be penalizing 
the best horse. The the best basketball team doesn't have to play a man down for five minutes because they're that much better than the other team, which is all true. But at the time, that wasn't. Uh, I mean, not at the time, but but our sport is is not really a sport. It's more of a gambling activity. And waiting horses was always the way that we tried to make it as competitive a race as possible. So, you know, the concept of, oh, um, we're penalizing our best horses. Well, in the end, if we did, it would be a better game. Because as it is now, they don't run anyways. (laughs) That's They they, they, They don't. They don't run. And now some of the, the quirks of the, the wait for age or the, um, you know, the allowance conditions, you have races where horses who are three to five are getting weight from, from other horses. It, it's just not a great system. I mean, older horse races should probably be handicaps. And, you know, it's just that's not going to change. I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm not stupid enough. I'm stupid, but I'm not stupid enough to think that <laughs> they're going to bring back handicaps because that wouldn't favor those who actually have the power in this business. But um, well, it's funny you say that because, like, back when I was learning the game when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would I would read the books and they'd have you know examples of past performances of horses to look at. And you see the types of races that these horses were in, like in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And even before that, somewhat in the in the 70s, it's just a different landscape. You can just see, like, just, you know, take any horse's past performances and look at them and be like, wow, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Compared to what was going on, you know, like in the 70s, like you said, it was just all open claims. It's all, you know, claiming prices was what it was. And that's where you ran. Now it's just like everything is conditioned and, you know, non-winners of two in six months, non-winners of two lifetime. And it just gets convoluted and, and it's hard to tell where a horse actually is class wise. Allowance horses are supposed to be classified by condition. Claiming horses are supposed to be classified by price. That's that's how it was for a hundred years, and we changed it. And you know, it's it's not for the better. Like you said, that the the conditions are convoluted. Some some races you'll see four different conditions on it, and um, you know, and even in the, the trotters, the harness, they still have handicapped so to speak and that uh, they'll assign outside post positions to the the horses that that might be um, stronger or right stronger but but it's uh it's it's kind of a lost art and that's all there is to it so we're gonna do um gervin (laughs) who i don't know anyone had on their potential hot stallion list a hot freshman style, but Gervin is off to a, a rousing start. Um, I'll never forgive Gervin for the Haskell. Just saying. Gervin is son of, of Tail of Akati. 
I mean, uh, Sid's man, our man, Sid's man, Mr. Fipke. Yes. Uh, but he's had quite a few winners. I think he's had five winners already. And in his initial uh, crop to race, um, and he had a horse, Damon's Mound, who just crushed Bluefield <laughs> Churchill on uh, on Saturday. But went by fourteen, got an eighty four buyer. Um, just uh, just destroyed them. That that was that was Gervin's fifth winner, and he's had a stakes winner already. A devious Dame won the uh, uh, Astoria, I believe, and. Gervin um, had another winner uh, on Saturday at Mammoth, a horse named a Roll Again Dancer, which is spelled <laughs> a little odd or something. But uh, he won uh, a maiden special weight too. So uh, Gervin had two winners, and uh, he stood last season for six thousand bucks. <laughs> so he is uh, on the on the on the upswing. Uh, Upstart had a had a good week too. Upstart had. Uh, had won both stakes on Saturday at Monmouth Park. They ran two stakes, and, and Upstarts won them both. So um, he's had a, a really good start. He's uh, at stud. He's in his third year, his third crop, his two-year-olds this year. He's already had grade one winners. I mean, Zandon and, and Kathleen O, both who look like high-class horses. Reinvestment Risk is, a, is another horse that uh, looks like he he will be a graded, graded stake winner soon. Mm-hmm. So upstarts had a kind of a, a a really good start, and I mean these aren't weren't exactly horses. I think that people were thinking were they they weren't. Um, it's not that people didn't think that they might become good stallions. It's just they weren't given. They weren't built that way. Like yes, right. They, they, they didn't start they anticipated the that these guys would be really good. Right. Like like when life is good goes the stud. Um, you know, think about next year, right? Life is good, goes a stud. If Flightline doesn't actually race next year and he goes a stud, those good, they're, they're going to command a lot of money right off the bat. Right off the bat. So, you know, you're talking about, like, the, the expectations will be very high. But it's not always those horses that turn out to be the best stallions. It's a very, very fickle game, the stallion game. And, and you know what? You got to have some luck. That's part of it. I mean, you know, say 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 I got a, a, a horse by, you know, some middle of the road stallion first crop, and I got the horse. Horse is working up a storm. <laughs> Looks like he's going to be a, 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 a grade one type horse, and then he goes and kicks the gate and gets hurt. And <laughs> so instead of having a, a signature horse for in your first crop. The horse gets hurt, and nobody ever hears about him. I mean, that you know, we don't know how many times that's happened, but you know that's happened. You know it's happened. Well, if you watch TV all the time, you would think uh, Run Happy would be the sire of all sires. I don't even want to talk about Run Happy. I told someone the 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 actual true story about Run Happy the other day, and. He laughed and said, "Hey, none of that was in the documentary." I said, hey, "Imagine that." <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> Imagine that someone did a documentary and didn't put the truth in there, or just uh, 
glazed over. Just, just, just skipped over some, some. Skipped over the minor detail that the yeah. horse was with somebody else. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, he actually had two other trainers that uh, trained him that were never mentioned. One only trained him for about, uh, I think, 45 minutes. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a story for another day. But um, even him, I mean, he was a horse that people thought were really disappointed when his two-year-olds didn't come out running. But he wasn't ready he to wasn't run great, when yeah. he was two. He, he was wicked fast, but he wasn't made to be a, a, a precocious two-year-old. He was way, way, way behind physically. And his babies seemed to, to be like him. Uh, and he had a lot more success when they they turned three. And I don't think he's had a whole lot of success this year, though. But uh-uh. um, you know, none of the they, they you know they didn't figure. But people equate speed to two year olds, so they think, oh, well, the horse is fast. Uh, I mean, we're kind of overdosing on Sid today, but, but uh, Sid <laughs> did a really good article, uh, I think last year, or the year before, about Spitestown, who's been a, a, a really Talk about a horse that um, came to the market. Not, I mean, I mean, there was high hopes for him, but he didn't come in at the top of the market. He was a six-year-old uh, sprint champion. Um, you know, he had a lot of physical issues over the years, and you know, credit to Gene Melnick who who kept bringing him back, um, you know, giving him a shot, and he certainly wound up rewarding him by being sprint champion at six, and then he went to stud. And, um, he doesn't really get super precocious horses, but he gets lots of fast horses, and people kind of um, make the mistake of assuming that just because a stallion sires fast horses that they'll all be really good two-year-olds. Most of the Spice Towns get better when they get older. Um, so if you have one that's actually fast and, and and successful at a younger age that's that's not the, the the majority that's that's the the minority and uh but you know like i said people say oh he was a sprint champion and he gets super fast horses he should be a good two-year-old stallion player not necessarily not so fast my friend <laughs> not so fast Is the Tet offensive over down there? Or is it just uh... it, it, they're in and out? I, I think they're going back to the well. They're like they got a box, let them off, go get the other box. So there's like a lull. You got to reload. Yeah, they're doing it though. The backyard is lit up. Well, next week we'll be uh, we'll be on the uh, the eve of, of Saratoga opening. Delmar not too far behind. The big meets. That should be fun, right? I mean, you know, with that coming up, it should be fun. There's a lot of things going on. Listen, man, if we can't if we can't have some level of excitement for Saratoga <laughs> and Delmar. If we if we can't get 
pumped up for those. <laughs> yeah, not, we... not, not pumped up to the shill level, but pumped up for like you know better racing than we're used to seeing on a on a on a day to day basis, and bigger pools and and. Uh... I mean that that's like I said. If we can't get pumped up for that, then it's time to walk away, man. But I'm looking forward to it. You still got to figure out your date, man. You got to come up here. I know. I was I was talking to my wife about it earlier. People ask about you. People are asking. Oh, <laughs> Spearsy's gonna send for me. <laughs> Beardsy popped the question last night. I know. That's, that's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm proud of him. I, I, it's a good move. Yeah, he, he said, well, we're going to get married, but not for a while. It's like, what's a while? Next October. <laughs> it's October. So like, Rodney, like Rodney, 2023 October? Yeah, Rodney threw a flag on it already. It's like, oh, October. Come on, man. You want to have an outside like, reception and stuff in October in Saratoga? It might snow. Everybody makes fun of me because I got a hoodie on at the at the track. Like, oh, no, 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 Even Barbara Livingston saw me today. She was at the harness track taking pictures, and she told me, she said, what do you got a hoodie on for? I said, I'm cold. It's hot out. I said, it's not hot for me. I'm from Florida, and my blood is thin, and that's all there is to it. And I'm not embarrassed to admit it. Plus, hoodies have pockets, and you need extra pockets. But the Barry Spears Saratoga special needs to be scheduled. Yeah, I got I to gotta talk to him. You know, he's got a breathalyzer at his house. <laughs> what? No one's allowed what to leave. That's how he gets down. Everybody yeah. knows. Nobody's allowed to leave until they pass the breathalyzer. Wow. So I told him, I said, why don't you come over to track for a couple, you know, for a couple races today. Bunch of guys are going to be there. And, you know, holiday, nice day. Yeah, he called me about, I don't know. Right around noon. I can't pass the breathalyzer. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, yeah, I blew a, a point one two. <laughs> I said, oh, man. Oh, man. Anyways. I guess that's a good idea, right? I mean, I don't drink, so... I don't have to worry about it, but right, that's it's smart. I mean, nobody leaves past the breathalyzer. <clears throat> that's that's very smart. Keep people from getting out of trouble or getting into trouble, not getting out of trouble because you can't get out of DUIs anymore. <laughs> so, so all right. Well, we'll wrap <laughs> it up today. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Kevin Durant still in net. Got nothing Thanks. to talk about. The NBA got the NBA got got was wild and then just fizzled. Just <laughs> dropped off. Like nothing's happening now. So I'm sure one of these days something will happen. But until then, summer league, summer league starts this week. 
They had a little week. That, I thought it was next they, week. They had that Utah summer league thing that they. Played. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, that's like that's like a, the Vegas one. Is the that's only like one. that's like the bullshit summer league. Vegas one. That's Utah the... summer league doesn't even have Utah doesn't even play in the Utah summer. League. <laughs> <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> they host it, but they don't play in it. <clears throat> um, yeah, summer league. So, so get checking checking that out. I'm sure people are are thrilled to hear that they'll be hearing my summer league NBA thoughts. <laughs> hey, that kid they drafted forty uh, seventh the other day. He's not bad. But you can ask Will Hooks though. I told him after the summer league, Donovan Mitchell was going to be a star. He, he he will admit it because I picked him to be rookie of the year that year, and he told me that I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the things you remember. I can't remember where I put my keys, but I remember, I remember the the disdain that I, that he gave me for saying Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, that guy from Louisville. I said that guy can play, man. I had no idea, but uh, I still don't want the Knicks to trade like eighteen draft picks for him. Only eighteen. <laughs> well, if Rudy Gobert was worth five. Could have used Rudy for something, right? We'll take Pratt. I'll take Pratt before I take Rudy Gobert. Well, you should leave, and and uh, we got to let you go and, and shore up your defenses. Make sure nobody's uh... got to hunker down and yeah. fire back. <laughs> Dig your foxhole, get the sword out just in case. Last well, resort. I have to reenact and, and be my name, be a sniper, yeah. get yeah. on my roof. <clears throat> Good luck with it. So, we will talk next week and uh, we will have all kinds of interesting, interesting information on Saratoga. Oh, yeah, that should be fun. And maybe we'll have the date of the sniper's arrival. Yes. Or to be a mystery and I just show up. Oh, I've done don't. that before. We, we, don't, <laughs> we, don't, we don't like mysteries here. <laughs> we don't like mysteries. We, we, need, we need planning. Too hectic here. We got we to gotta have plans. Right, you do. You do. Got to make sure everyone's in, in the proper position. <laughs> but uh, no, we'll talk next week. And uh, thank you for listening, everyone, as usual. And uh, Good luck. Good luck the final weekend at Belmont. There you go. Take a shot. You never know. When you right. walk Let around. Right. You never know. A, yeah. You, you never you, I make a bet every day because you never know. I might be walking around lucky and not even know it. There you go. That's a great way to end this. <laughs> All right. Talk to everybody next week. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved, Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, They have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees, your mayor will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, 
The star of Pleasant Acre Farm Stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the Freshman Stallion of the Year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made a 3 for 3, winning the $400,000 Springboard Mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions, check them out. Hey guys, I wanted to talk to you quickly about some of the changes coming to the Going in Circles Digest, which is our sort of weekly newsletter that we've put out that covers a, a wide variety of topics. Uh, just lately, we've added some guest columnists. Sid Fernando wrote a great piece for us a couple weeks back, and Julian Brown has really helped us out with some uh, excellent handicapping uh, articles, and we're going to expand on the handicapping, especially, uh, you know, with Julian's writing, who who used Julian used to write for American Turf Monthly, um, but it's something that uh, we we think people seem to have be interested in, and certainly any timely topic is, is something that's going to be covered, and uh, we're going to do a lot of uh, our weekly previews, especially for the big days and, and the Triple Crown races. Uh, we also want to put it out there that anyone that has something to say, you can be a guest writer. Just contact me. There's a, a variety of ways going in circles podcast at gmail.com is probably the easiest. And we'll, uh, we'll put you out there. And we're not exactly... Uh, at the distribution point of the New York Times or anything, but we do get a lot of click-ons. And if you have something to say, well, we'll help you say it. All right, guys, if you have any suggestions, anything you want to hear about, anything you want to uh, read about, hit me up, goingincirclespodcast.gmail.com, and uh, check it out, goingincirclesdigest.com. Substack.com. Free subscription. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 4th of July edition of the Going in Circles Big Monday show. Barry and I will cover a busy weekend of stakes action. Uh, this was a closing weekend for Churchill. Belmont's got one more weekend to go. They have a bunch of turf festival races this coming weekend before we get to uh, the big meet. Saratoga and Del Mar starting soon. If you can't get excited for Saratoga and Del Mar, then I don't know why you're listening to us. Anyways, we'll be back uh, in about a minute and 25 seconds with the sniper. <laughs> 